If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. On today's podcast, I'm talking with Leah. Leah has gone through an absolute roller coaster ride to get to her beautiful boy Jack. There were endometriosis diagnoses, a lot of rounds of egg collection, a relationship chucked in the mix. I don't want to spoil everything, so you'll have to listen on. Welcome, Leah. So welcome, Leah. Really excited to have you on the podcast tonight. And um, so I thought we'd start off with just hearing a bit about you and what led you to the decision to become a solo mum by choice. Okay. Um, look, I, so this, actually, what am I? I'm 42 now, <laughs> just turned 42. Um, so when I turned 37, um, I was sitting in my office at work and a um, someone who I worked with came in and said, happy birthday. God, 37, you're getting a bit old. Have you like thought about um, checking to see whether your eggs are still okay? And I was like, that's what? Very forward. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, my eggs? <laughs> and she was like, yeah, like, you know, you might not be able to have kids. And I was like, holy shit. Anyway, I walked away from that and thought, I better make an appointment with my GP. And I kind of, I'd always kind of gone along and I've had boyfriends on and off and you know people who've been around and I guess I knew that I was getting older but I just thought ah she'll be right I like IVF apparently IVF's pretty good like that'll I'll just do that if it doesn't like and not actually having any concept of what that actually looked like what it meant um and so I went off to my GP and I said to him I think I'm getting a bit old Keith (laughs) and he said he said oh what brought this on? And I just kind of told him and he said, look, I'll send you for um, some tests and we'll see what your egg reserve is and then we'll have a conversation. Um, So he called me back into his office um, a week later and he said, look, your your blood tests show that you have got a really low AMH level. I was like, okay, what does that mean? Um, And he said, basically, it means that, you know, you're not you don't have a lot of eggs left. I need to refer you to a fertility clinic. I was like, oh, God, okay, yep. So it wasn't really until that point 
And then I just thought, oh, look, I'll go along. I'll just see what they have to say. But, I mean, there'll be a solution. It'll be fine. I'll just get my eggs frozen. So even at that point you weren't thinking, I'm going to do this by myself. You were thinking I'm just no. now what to do with me. No, yeah. no, because I always, I always, you know, I grew up with mum, dad, brother, um, you know, I, I just always thought that it would happen just that I was probably a late bloomer and that, it, you know, it would happen eventually, but that I would have white picket fence, um, you know, someone to, to be with and that it was just happening a bit later for me. So anyway, I, I kind of, and, you know, in my career I had sort of, I'd worked really hard and I had done well at that and I guess that kind of took precedence mm-hmm. for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um and so I went along to that appointment. I took mum because I was like, oh, I better take someone who like, you know, can, can rehash some of it with me after. So I went along and um, I sat down with the fertility specialist and she basically said, I said to her, look, you know, I'll just freeze my eggs. It'll be fine. And she said, oh, look, I would advise against that because you actually don't have that many to play with. And by the time we take them, by the time we store them, and we defrost them and, you know, kind of went through the process. And she said, you could end up with none. And I was like, oh, okay. And she said, so, you know, $10,000 to spend on, you know, taking your eggs, freezing them and getting nothing for it. And I was like, oh. So kind of still hadn't really. And then she said to me, you know, you really need to consider a donor. And I was like, a what? What are you talking about? And she was like, oh you know, a donor, you know, um, we, we provide you with basically, she said, it's really great. You get around with, around, you know, a table with your girlfriends and you pick out like a donor. And I was like, do you mean like a bloke? <laughs> and she was like, yeah, yeah. Like you pick out like, you know, someone that you, and I was like, oh God. And I was like, oh, I'm not ready to even think about that. I'll just, I'm just going to go away and think about my options. And I kind of walked away from that and said to my mum, holy shit, what the hell? Like, no way, I'm not doing that. I'm just going to freeze my eggs. Like, she didn't know what she was talking about. Anyway, I, after that, I just got, I don't know, I didn't get a good vibe from that consult, clearly. And so then I kind of did a bit of research on Facebook, um, as you do. And um, Facebook's almost replaced Dr. Google, hasn't it? Yeah. Pretty much. Um, and look, there was a Facebook group that said oh, some people were talking about a specialist in Queensland and I thought, oh, well, look, I may as well get a second opinion, you know, see what someone else thinks because, you know, I'm not ready to do this. So I'm going to find my man and I'm going to, you know, this is going to be fine. And so I waited and I had a specialist, a consult with this specialist by Zoom and he actually said to me look I'm not going to actually touch you I'm not going to do anything yes what you were told is correct you have really low AMH he said but I actually think you've got endometriosis and I was like what what even is that (laughs) so he said look go away have a look at it I'll send you some info on it but you need to find a surgeon down in Hobart that will um operation and if you can't then fly to Queensland and I'll do it Mm-hmm. And he said, but there's no point doing anything until we explore that um, and sort of explained, you know, what the ins and outs of endo meant. And so I 
ended up doing some ringing around some surgeons in Hobart and found someone who would do endometriosis surgery. And um, she, I went to see her and look, she was fantastic. And she did the endo surgery. And I still remember she came back after the surgery and she said, look, you had stage four endo. She said, it's everywhere. Like it was. And you had no idea. No, no idea. Because, because I'd been on the pill for so long. Yeah. It masked all of the symptoms. So I just never, I never had those symptoms that lots of people get. So I just didn't know. And it wasn't really until I went off the pill that I had the terrible periods. And I mean, I used to get, because she said it was all around my bowel and my bladder and, um, and yeah, so she, she basically said, look, um, it is everywhere. We've tried to take as much as we can. Um, but yeah. But you need to start thinking about what you're going to do fertility-wise because it will grow back um, and it will make your chances a lot harder. And I thought, oh, my God. Anyway, I kind of stuck my head in the sand for months because I just I just don't think I was ready to even accept the fact that that was happening to me. And it wasn't actually until I think one day I was having a conversation with Dad and he was like, so what are you going to do with this whole fertility thing? <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, oh, no, I think I'll just like wait. And he said, well, I think from everything that's been said, you know, you, you, if you don't do it now, you, you never will. Like you'll never get a chance. And I was like, well, yeah. And I said, but I, you know, I think kids should grow up with a mum and a dad and, you know, like I did. And he was like, families have changed. <laughs> he said, you know, from when, I, from when, um, you grow up and he was like I just think you'd be you know you just need to go and do it while we're still alive and we can help you just go and do it and I think that was kind of the moment I was like yeah okay well if they're accepting it and mm. and they're kind of okay about it and then my brother was like and my sister-in-law were like why don't you just do it we'll all help you like it'll be totally fine you can do it on your own you really planned and I was like oh shit okay maybe I can so it really wasn't until all of that had happened that I kind of went yeah okay maybe I can do this so yeah so that's kind of the backstory to it all and were you trying to date anyone while you were going through all of that and the hope still of finding that man or you just kind of focused on the health and then went oh hmm. I kind of did like I, I didn't I didn't like I I think, you know, there was people who kind of came along that I was like, oh, yeah, maybe that one, you know, or maybe that one will do or, oh, can I see myself having kids with that person? But, yeah, no one that really kind of, I don't know, like am I fussy maybe? (laughs) I I don't know. Don't know. But, yeah, no one came along that really, no one came along until right in the middle of all of my treatments. Oh, good. We'll get to that exciting part. Yeah, and then that got interesting. (laughs) So you decided to do it, and then what did you do to conceive? So after I'd been sent for the endosurgery, I kind of went, okay, I'm going to keep going through this guy on the Gold Coast. Um, Everyone raves about him. Everyone says how amazing he is. I'm just going to fly up there. I'm just going to do it. And I um, accessed my super. Mm-hmm. for a lot of this um, and you know I mean that's a whole process in itself for you know anyone who's been through that um, 
it is such a shit system. But, you know, like having to get a psychiatrist to say that, you know, that you'll have mental health issues if you don't, you know, oh, if wow. you're not. So they have to basically sign off and say that, um, that you will um, likely end up with mental health issues long term if they don't release your super. Look, I had to do that three times, four times, three times. Um, and even then you have to justify like how much money you want that's yours um, and, you know, how much you want out of it and, you know, what it's going for and what your quotes are. And so along with everything else that you have to deal with, there's that element of it. Um, and, look, there's lots of things on the forums that you can get on online that that tell you about, you know, what you have to do and who you can see and, thank goodness, because otherwise I would have had no idea where to start with all that kind of stuff. So anyway, so I accessed that. I worked a heap of overtime at work so I could pay for my trips to the Gold Coast because that wasn't cheap either. Um, So really it was probably from kind of 2018 was really the year. So it was kind of the following year after I found all of this out and had surgeries. And I flew to the Gold Coast three times three times I think it was um and first first um retrieval and I had really good friends um who came with me so um one came one time and then another one came another time (laughs) then um I flew up myself the last time but basically um we went up there for a week I had the um had the surge, the retrieval egg retrievals and I the first one I got was six so I got six eggs um and out of that I think I had two um that made it to blast assist mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. of those was transferred um and then of course you fly home and then I waited and then that didn't work and then I went back up so that was the March 2018 and then I went back up in the May and I had it done again um, and I think out of that one, I had four. Um, so, and and look, it's slowly gone down to like literally two. Um, but I got four um, and I had that one, tra- I had, I think, two again. No, actually, it was only one that made it that time. And so I had that one transferred. And that didn't work. Um, and then I went up again um, in the September Um, for a transfer of the one that I'd already had frozen Mm -hmm. Um, and that didn't work Um, and and actually no I must have had another two up there frozen frozen out of those rounds so there was literally two on ice up there Um, and then I thought at that September one when the transfer didn't work I was kind of like look I've got two in storage up there but what if they don't work? Like what happens if they don't, if nothing happens with those? And so then I kind of thought, right, I'm going to do one last trip up there um, and I'll get, I'll have another retrieval done, get some more eggs. And because I guess siblings was a big thing for me as well in the back of my head because I've got a brother. Um, So I, anyway, then it got to Christmas 2018 and I met someone (laughs) and um, I was seeing him and look all all of the advice that I'd had from the doctors was pretty much you know because of your endo because of the scarring and because we're doing IVF your chances of getting pregnant are fairly slim yeah so yeah. we had had that conversation early on I had told him that I was going through IVF and that you know that there was a process happening um, and I actually really liked him 
Um, and at the time I kind of was like, oh, well, I'll just kind of put it on hold a little bit. Like I'll just kind of, I'll go up in the, you know, the February of the 2019, I'll go up then and I'll just, you know, I'll see what I get out of the transfer because I think in the back of my mind I was thinking, oh, well, I'll go up and I'll have a retrieval done and then that's fine. I'll just pop it on ice and I'll wait and see what happens with this relationship. And obviously by that stage I was turning 39 that year. So I flew up in the Feb 2019 and I had another egg collection and I got nothing and so I was still seeing him and then he um, actually flew back to um, where he was from um, in the March for a friend's birthday and it was my birthday weekend and I was due my period was due and I was like oh that's a bit weird I haven't got my period anyway um I was at work and I said to one of my besties at work, I was like, oh, I haven't got my period. And he was like, how late are you? And I said, oh, I think it's about five days. And he was like, surely not. And I was like, no. Anyway, at lunchtime, whipped out and got a pregnancy test and came back to work. And lo and behold, there was two lines there. Um, wow. So, wow. look, I almost died. Um and, of course, he was away and I couldn't tell him because I didn't want to ruin his weekend. Um, so, anyway, he ended up flying flying back and um, I told him about it and literally a week later I had a miscarriage. Um, so that was kind of a, that was, that was the first hurdle. Um, anyway, and then we booked a trip for the May um, to go to Hawaii and I was a bit like look I'm just going to put this all on ice because I this is probably you know I think this is going somewhere anyway we were just I think it was two weeks before we flew to Hawaii and I thought this is a bit weird period I've got my period and I was like no surely this cannot be happening again yeah so I took a test and I said to him look I am my period's late and he was like surely this is not happening again um and look he was a little bit younger than me and he wasn't sold on babies now um and I guess that was that that was I mean looking back it was an underlying sense of tension the whole IVF conversation because you know I was always that was always in the back of my mind and I guess that was always my plan and you know and as I'd said to him if I don't find someone, that's fine. I'm just going to do it by myself. So it's okay. And if that's not the path you want to go down, that's fine. But I will be doing it in the background. So um, and in amongst all of that, I had moved down to um, Hobart, a clinic in Hobart, because the constant trips to the Gold Coast were just getting far too, A, it was far too much, and B, it was just really expensive. So you were able to move those existing embryos down? No, no. (laughs) So they had to stay there. Right. Um, Which, and I couldn't move my, I couldn't move the donor down. Um, And look, I'm a big believer of everything happens for a reason. And, you know, I I knew I had the two embryos up there and I kind of just went, you know what, I'm just going to park that. And I've just had nothing but kind of, negative experiences that have happened while I've been going down that path so you know maybe this is a fresh start and 
you know, a new donor. And so I think, you know, I was trying in my own head to rationalise it all as well. Um, so I picked a new donor while I was with this guy. It was so bizarre. Um, yeah, I know. Another pregnancy test. Hmm. Yep. Uh, <laughs> well, well, yeah, I, I know. And it sounds like such like a trashy novel when I say it out loud, but it kind of didn't really happen like that. Um you know, like my friends and I were sitting around having a couple of bottles of wine, picking this new donor, um, you know, and so, and, you know, he's sending me messages saying, how's your night going? I'm like, yeah, great. We're like picking a donor. And look, and I, I don't think, I don't know whether, I don't know whether I really thought that it was all kind of going to happen for me. I think, yeah. you know, like, I think I was kind of in denial a little bit that it would actually ever happen. So I think that made it okay. <laughs> I Look, honestly, I don't know. I look back and kind of go, oh, that's a bit weird. Um, but, yeah, look, anyway, we had decided to go to Hawaii and a couple of weeks out. I found out I was pregnant again. Mm. Um, so, look, the Hawaii trip was not the trip that I'd hoped it was going to be. Um, Look, it was full of tense conversations, tears, um, you know, it was, and he wasn't happy about it. I wasn't necessarily happy about it because he wasn't happy about it and because of all the tension. Yeah. Um, yeah. There was a slight part of me that was a bit like, oh, well, at least I don't have to go through this anymore. <laughs> like this is, you know, it's a side issue and at least I'll have, you know, a kid who knows who their dad is and, yeah. you know, maybe it might not be my happy ending but at least, you know, for a little little person's sake it'll be fine. And when I got home it was a week later and I just had this funny feeling, I don't know what it was or why or and I got a pregnancy test and I did it and it was one of those ones that's like, four weeks, two weeks, whatever it is. It's one of those ones, clear blue, isn't it? Um, and I did that and it said I was three weeks pregnant and I was like, oh, that's not right. I'm like, I'm seven weeks. And I was like, hmm. And sure enough, the next day it st I started to miscarry and I ended up in hospital and like, so that was really sad. And, you know, and it was, you know, looking back on it, it was pretty crappy time. Um, and it was really hard for him too because he was just like, well, he was trying to support me and I knew he was trying to support me and do the right thing, but then I think he was totally happy that it had happened on another. So it was, look, I think it was the beginning of the end. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, totally, the, totally the beginning of the end. Um, and looking back on it too, you know, he, yeah, he didn't, he didn't want it and, you know, want a baby and at this point in time. So anyway, probably I think it was about May, June, July, I think it was about three months later and the relationship ended. Um, and at that time I was like, stuff this, I am going to get this, I am going to get have a baby, this is what I want and no one's going to stop me this time. So I made an appointment, I went to the fertility clinic down here, I had an egg retrieval the following week and um, I ended up with two blastocysts and, you know, um, and then the scientist had called me, I think it was like on the sixth day and said, 
look, we've got the two blastocysts, but one we've done some testing on. So I don't know if you've heard about all the PGA testing for Monash, how there was a massive stuff up. No. And they got, got rid of embryos that potentially were okay. Oh. I was one of those people. Oh. So, so I had one embryo that was good and the other one they had discarded because it wasn't any good. So I've got the, yeah, so I had the two, the two um, embryos or blastocysts and one of those is my little guy, Jack. Um, so, I, yeah, I had those two. One was discarded. And then, and I didn't have it, had have the, the embryo transferred because in the back of my head, I've always been like, I just want to have a sibling. Like I want the option of being able to have a sibling. I'm going to keep trying until I get one. So I, after that, um, and because of the, the, breakup and everything else I ended up going to New Zealand to visit a friend for a couple of weeks um, in the November Um, and then I ended up um, going to Bali in the January January just before COVID kind of really hit Um, and I was like right I've got the wedding in Bali in January it's going to be fine I'll come home I'll have my 40th which was a massive party and then I'll start again Um, and I still remember flying home thinking, God, look at all these people in the masks. Like, this is crazy. And, and a friend of mine's daughter at the wedding was like, Leah, there's like really bad things going on at home. Like, what this COVID thing? And I was like, don't worry about it. It's never going to reach us. I know. And now, <laughs> anyway, so flew home, um, had a Ripper 40th, um, and then we literally went into lockdown. So... Then of course they shut all elective surgeries, so we couldn't. I couldn't do anything to do with egg retrieval, um, and so I then had said to. I was talking to the um, fertility specialist at my clinic, and I said, "Look, what about those two that are in Queensland? Should I just fly them down and put them in, and we'll, let's see what happens?" Um, and she said look, they're up there, you may as well, we can do that, but we just can't do the egg retrievals. So I was like, you know what, fly them down, it's going to cost an absolute bomb, but do it and let's see. So they flew it down, flew them down um, and I had the retrieval, I mean, had the retrieval, had the transfer um, and it didn't work. You transferred both and, of them? Yep, transferred both of them. I was like, you know what, if I end up with twins, Hindsight, I'm so glad I never ended up with twins. I would have died, I think, knowing what I know, knowing what I know now. Um, but I was like, it doesn't matter. I'll be fine. I can do this. Anyway, um, neither worked. Um, and then I think they started up again. They started up um, being able to have retrievals and things. And look, I had another. I had another five retrievals oh, wow. all up. Yeah. And I was just getting none. Like some, I was getting nothing. So I'd wake up from, you know, day surge and they'd be like, sorry, you didn't get any. And um, then it was kind of, and then every now and then it'd be like, yeah, we've got one, you know? So it was just, it was just the bottom of the barrel. Um, and we tried lots of different meds and lots of different, Oh, like herbs and 
you know, acupuncture and you name it, I tried it. Um, and nothing seemed to work. And I, you know, and I I tried everything. Um, and in the end, um, I ended up, I think, I ended up saying, no, nah, that's it. I'm just going to have this one that I've got there. I'll have that transferred and, you know, what will be will be. So if I end up with a sibling later, then okay. And if I don't, then, you know, just put it out there. So um, in September 2017, I think it was, no, 2017, going back to 2nd of September 2020 it was, um, I ended up having a transfer and in amongst all of that too, my dog had died and <laughs> I'd got another puppy and like, you know, there was a whole lot of, I'd moved house. There was just that many things that had happened. Um, and I ended up having a transfer and fast forward to May uh, last year and my little boy Jack was born. So it worked. So how many rounds of IVF and retrievals did you go through to get him? I have been through, well, there was four up there. So, look, probably about probably about 10, 11. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's massive. And then so how the, did you feel, I guess, going through pregnancy after the two times you had got pregnant and having the miscarriages, were you quite anxious at the beginning? Yeah. Did you believe that you were pregnant after all of those failed transfers as well? <laughs> look, I I go through my phone sometimes and look at the pictures like back then and, you know, there's so many pregnancy tests, you know, um, five days past, what is it? I can't even remember now. Five like days the, past five-day transfer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and there was like literally these tests lined up and, you know, I kept doing it and I kept sending them to my, you know, the people who were close to me and being like, can you see the line's got darker? The line's got darker, hasn't it? You know, it was this real... <laughs> thing and anyway my um fertility specialist she did a scan at six weeks um and she just said look I'm gonna do I'm gonna do a scan um that was into I'm pretty sure it was an internal um and she said look you know here we are at six weeks it's totally fine you are pregnant this is all happening and I was a bit like I don't think I still believed it mm. And then I made the decision to go to my, so looking at obstetricians and the woman who did my endosurgery, she's also an obstetrician. And I just had loved her since I, she gave, you know, did the endosurgery and she was brilliant. Um, you know, she'd hold your hand and she'd like give you a bit of a hug. And I don't know, there was just something about her. And so I rang her clinic and she's always booked out. So I rang the clinic and I said, I'm pregnant again. <laughs> Cause I'd been to her when I had the miscarriage. Anyway, they called me back. So I'd registered everything and said how far along I was. And they rang me back and they said, look, she wants to get you in um, early because she knows that you'll be stressing about, about the miscarriage and that seven weeks was when that happened last time. So we want to get you in now and we want to start the scanning process so that you're not stressing. And I was like, oh, okay. Anyway, and then I had to break up with my fertility specialist and say, sorry, but I'm not going through you because she's also an obstetrician. So I was like, really sorry, but your office 
space gives bad juju. <laughs> so I want to go through a whole new, it was just, look, it was for my own sanity, like, you know, wandering in there all the time. It was just, it just brought up. You've been through a lot of rounds of IVF there as well. I mean, you're finding successful. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine I wouldn't yeah. want to be there either. Yeah. No, I loved the staff, but I did not want to go in there. So um, I ended up, yeah, so my obstetrician, um, Kirsten, she was amazing and she scanned me pretty much every week up until 12 weeks um, just so that I stayed calm and, yeah. And, look, it's funny because... I read something the other day and someone had said, oh, you know, I just, you know, I'm 20 weeks and I still don't really believe it, even though I know that I am because I can see it. And I honestly don't feel like until I got right up to the end, I just don't think I really thought that there was going to be. I'm the same. After losing my son at 21 weeks, it wasn't until I think I had her in my arms that I really believed yeah yeah it was really gonna happen it's just there was always yeah. a that was like but it might not and I think it's after yep. being through loss pregnancy is just so much harder than you can imagine yeah yeah and it's just you know like lots of people would be like oh and you know I'm a very I'm very well organized and I'm very well planned and I you know I had I'd you know I had the cot and I had everything that I needed to do like that was all lined up and done and you know so but it was still I just don't quite think I believed it until I actually saw him and then I was like oh god what do I do with this (laughs) so yeah it was funny I I mean look I, I ended work probably about six weeks before I had him um my obstetrician had said um you know, take the six weeks, you're never going to have this time again, lie on the couch and watch Netflix, best advice she ever gave. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, and so, I look, I did that and I, because I knew I was coming home to, obviously, you know, my mum and dad were around, they also, they owned a business, so they were working full-time um, and, yes, I had great family support, but I kind of, I just, you know, lots of people had said to me, make sure that you've got things in the freezer. And so I went on this massive baking mission and, you know, did heaps and heaps of pre-cooked dinners and froze them all and labelled them all. And so, yeah, so I, and I also at 30, so I had him at 38 weeks um, and he was a planned Caesar. Um, He, I had... I almost, I was having a discussion with my obstetrician and she was just like, look, I really think that he's got a bit of a big head and um, if he comes out and, you know, tears you, then sometimes the recovery of that, being on your own, is worse than a planned Caesar. And she said, so, you know, you need to think about what you want to do. And I, and I think I just needed her to say that to me and, you know, and and I think in the end, the plan Caesar was definitely the way that I needed to go for my own peace of mind. I am very planned. I don't like surprises very often. Yep. And that's what she had said. She, yeah. And she, she you know, she'd kind of undenied between it and she was like, you can make your decision. And I was like, no, nah, just like in the end, I just want to know when it is because I think it was making me get more nervous thinking that I was going to go into spontaneous labour at home and I'd be by myself. 
there was just something about that that I couldn't quite get my head around. And you know, and there was one night just before, actually, I was probably about 36 weeks and I ended up sick and I was vomiting and wasn't feeling well at all. And I ended up taking myself off. It was pouring with rain down here um, and took myself off to the hospital at like 3.30 in the morning um, because they told me I had to go in because I was so unwell. Um, and they hooked me up to monitors and they said, no, 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 everything's fine. He's still moving. You're all good. Um, and they, yeah, and they sent me home again. And mum, I think she sent me a text and I was like, oh, I'm just leaving the hospital. Don't panic. Everything's fine. And she rings me and she's like, what? What were you doing over the hospital? And I was like, oh, I just wasn't well. And she was like, and you drove yourself up there at 3.30 <laughs> in the morning. She was like, I could have come around. And I was like, it's totally fine, Mum. Like, I knew I was going to be okay. She was like, but what if you weren't? <laughs> anyway, so, um, yeah, so I ended up, yeah, having him at 38 weeks. Friday morning, it was perfectly well planned. Um, Mum was allowed to stay with me and come to the Caesar and then stay with me for, a, um, I think she stayed about three nights in hospital when I had him. Um, and look, I, that was a bit of a blur really. Um, it was a massive shock to the system (laughs) and, um, you know, like being responsible for something other than a furry dog or, you know, (laughs) it was just, yeah, look, it was a massive shock. And then the no sleep, that was also a huge shock to the system. Um, and I ended up, my obstetrician, um, got me to stay in, um, up until I think I was in there for seven nights. Um, and she got me to stay in for that long because I was having a lot of trouble breastfeeding. So I got mastitis the day that my milk came in. I know it was such a treat. Um, and so, yeah, so she made me stay in for a bit longer, um, which was great because, you know, the hospital staff were really helpful and I didn't begrudge that at all. And I didn't have a burning. The only thing I wanted to do when I got home was to see the dogs. That was my only thing. And I guess I kind of felt a bit safe in there too because I knew when I got home. Something goes wrong. There's there's people to look after it for you. Yeah. Absolutely. And someone who could tell you what to do. So, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, look, I came home and, um, you know, for the first, I would have to say, for the first five weeks, I was not enjoying life as as a mum at all. No, no. I thought, honestly, I said more than once. Um, I think I, I think I've made the the worst decision of my life. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. I honestly, um, and I think look that I had had, I had another bout of mastitis in that time. Yeah. Um, cracked nipples, lots of other, you know, that kind of stuff going on. And it really, I think once I stopped breastfeeding, it was perfectly like everything was fine. And I was like, oh, no, I actually really like this little human. <laughs> so, so did you end up stopping breastfeeding quite early then as a result? Yeah, look, it got to, I tried everything um, to begin with, you know, and like I had, I had low milk supply and I, like it was just everything that could happen did happen and so and the lactation consultants I had them come and do home visits like because I was just determined to do it yeah. um and look they came several times and were like in the end I think it was the 
last time I got the mastitis and the cracked nipples and the lactation consultant that I had was like, Leah, you need to stop. Like it's time. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but like they say that breastfeeding is best. And she was like, no way. She said, do you actually, do you look forward to seeing him when he wakes up? And I was like, no, because it hurts. And she was like, it's time to say goodbye. <laughs> she was like, that's it. You're done. Let's move on. So, look, I think I still got teary about that for probably a couple of months after I'd stopped. But looking back on it, it was the best thing that I ever could have done was to stop because it just it wasn't fun. I think you're lucky. And so many stories of like lactation consultants and things putting a lot of pressure on and making people feel like a failure because they're not doing it. So it sounds like you got a really good one, which is what you needed at the time, even though you couldn't see it at the time. Look, she was, she'd been, I mean, she was with me when he was born. So, you know, she was kind of along that journey and she said to me, you know, you've tried everything. Everything we told you to do, you've done. And she said, you know, it's not through lack of trying. And she was like, I just think that this is just not meant to be. So I was like, yeah, okay. So look, yeah. And now I, I don't regret it. He's, you know, almost 11 months and is thriving and you know, who would have known that he's not breastfed? So now I have the mental capacity to enjoy him because you're not stressing every time he wakes up, which was just so much nicer. Look, it was that. And it was the fact that because I had such a low milk supply too, so he was, I guess if I, yeah, I don't know. Look, mum stayed a lot in those first five weeks. So God love her. I don't know what I would have done without her, you know, here. Um, but I was having to feed him, then top him up, then pump, so I'd have to express. And then by the time I was washing all of that up and sterilising it, he was back up again within an hour. So I I was not sleeping. Mm. So obviously that compounds everything, Um, you know, and towards the end when I got the cracked nipples and I had a blood blister on my nipple and (laughs) I was totally foul and I had to had to use shields and like there was just it was just one thing after another and um I had to get mum to come and stay because I couldn't even I'd feed him and I couldn't even burp him or you know comfort him because my boobs were so sore so I had to hand him straight over to her so it was just and look I think it was at that time it was just like no I'm done I'm done this is it so yeah so yeah anyway it is what it is but now you've got a minute's all wonderful look totally totally and it doesn't matter that I didn't breastfeed so you know I mean he, he got five weeks <laughs> he was lucky I think he we, we putting so much pressure on ourselves for that sort of thing and there's very few people that I've met that it actually comes easy and they didn't have any bumps yep. or hiccups along the way yep so. And, and if you have, look, and I, and I honestly think, like, if you're, if you're on your own too, it just is, you know, like a lot of my friends were saying, oh, I used to just pass baby over to dad, you know, and but I didn't have that option. Like, you know, I didn't. And, and, if, I was, <laughs> and if I was hurt or sore, mum had to stay. Yeah. You're lucky so, that you're such a supportive family. Yeah. A lot of people don't have that, oh, so really lucky. Look, I I have said that on more than one occasion. There's no way I could have done it without them. 
so you know and I did um I went on to get another I did get I have got one more in the bank so I went yeah so I was part of the bungle they were offering free rounds to get that one and funnily enough um there must be something to be you know how they say that you're quite fertile after you've had a baby yeah I went and had I went and had an egg collection and I got one the first first round was a non-event and the second round I got one and so there's a blastocyst in the freezer I have to say you tend to get a lot of blastocysts considering how few eggs you get so that's pretty I know I know and look and a lot of a lot of the research and stuff I kind of did early on I was like oh my god these people are getting like 30 eggs I'm so jealous and then I kind of the more I would read the more I would find out that some of those people were getting none at the end, like, you know, no. And I was just like, wow, I can't believe that that. So, look, in the end, I mean, the, the when I got the ones and the no, the no egg egg retrievals, they were, quite, they were the hardest ones, but it only took one. And here we are <laughs> 11 months later. So I guess one thing we didn't discuss is how you picked your donor so you, you obviously had two different ones so you had a different one in Queensland and then in Hobart did you use Australian or overseas and what was your kind of process a lot for all of that so I used um so when I was going through the Monash um, clinic in Queensland um I used a um Canadian donor okay. um and then and look, and that one, um, look, I I looked at their kind of their histories. Um, I looked at, you know, what they looked like, obviously, because I think we're all drawn to that kind of thing. Um, I knew that I wanted someone who had similar kind of features and things, I guess, as the same, you know, to be a bit the same as me. And I know that that sounds a bit weird, but... I just, I kind of wanted my baby to look like me and for people to not say things like, oh, dad must be, you know, gosh, he must be tall or, oh, look at, you know, dad's eyes must be gorgeous and blue, you know, that kind of thing. So, and, you know, which people are, and I have already had those comments about Jack. <laughs> so, you know, you can't get away from it, but um so I'd picked this little dude who had had this little he had a little polo Ralph Lauren like little polo shirt on and he was cute as and I was like yeah that's going to be my kid anyway that totally did not work um and then the one down here um they actually had said there's a really short there's a short supply of donors um and it was through the Californian um bank over there um and they yeah they said look we've got a really low supply so slim pickings good luck um and I knew that I didn't That's want I know, good, isn't it? I know right um and I didn't want an Australian donor I knew that um I don't know there's something that just doesn't sit right with me about there being someone I knew and and look I have got um a very best friend who is um, gay 
and he had offered um, mm-hmm. to be a donor mm-hmm. early on. And I thought about that long and hard. Um, and then I just thought, you know what, like what happens if something went wrong? What happens if he wanted contact? What ha- You know, what happens if he, you know, told this kid that he was their dad? Like what happens? So whilst there would have, that kind of would have been nice because this child would at least have a dad figure. So I was kind of doing the whole, yeah, maybe this is going to be okay. I just knew that if I entered into doing this on my own, then it had to be on my own. And yeah. then there couldn't be, there couldn't be somebody else involved because that would just ruin all of my plans. So I was like, no, if it's just me doing it, then I'm just doing it by myself. So that was hard to come to terms with as well. So in the end, I went through the Californian bank and look, I, the one that I chose, um, he, I just made sure that they didn't have any um, like, you know, mental health um, stuff. I work with a lot of people, you know, and certainly, nothing against that but I guess for me I was like just don't want any pre-existing you know yeah from whatever you can tell um but also um I also chose someone who didn't have like their families didn't have a lot of health problems you know obvious yeah the obvious things yeah um and someone who kind of looked a little bit like me so again you got to thought yeah I got um I got kid pictures and look to be fair when I saw this kid picture I was a bit like oh he looks like a bit of a goofy because we only got a we got a teenager picture so it was a oh. bit like yeah nobody looks good as a teenager no and he and look to be fair he kind of did look a little bit gangly and I was a bit like uh look I'm not overly taken but the specs outweigh the looks so Oh, that's that's how I chose. I was very, yeah, I didn't go with the heart. I went with the head. Yeah. <laughs> so, and look, lucky because it paid off. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and when I was pregnant, they actually send you a little package. Huh. Um, yeah, so they send you a little congratulations package and it's a little keepsake, so it's a little USB stick, cute. Um, and on that is like a whole lot of um, baby photos and um, there's like little interviews that they do with the donor so you you hear their voice um, and uh, yeah look other bits and pieces but it's basically a keepsake so that when he gets old enough he can have that and know I guess where he came from but is there an avenue where he could meet the donor in the future as well I think when they turn 18, um, they can track them down. I think there's some new law that that they can do that. But, look, I'm just not even, if that happens, it happens. But, you know, and I'm certainly going to, like I've bought a lot of books which explain the donor process and what that means. And, you know, I'm certainly not going to shy away from you know, telling him that that's how he was, you know, how he came along. Yeah. Um, you know, and I've been really honest with, you know, his childcare and and said to them, you know, he doesn't, he's a donor baby, he doesn't have a dad, um, you know, and that's been a little bit hard to voice that out loud to those kinds of people, particularly strangers. Like, 
because not a lot of people knew my story. Like not a lot. My friends did and my family, but not random people. <laughs> so I found it definitely gets easier the older they get and the more you do it. And now yes. I basically just tell anybody who listens. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and look, they were. I guess the the more people that I have told, the more people are like, oh, my God, that's amazing. Mm. Like, well done. You know, it's that real. Whereas for a long time I was really embarrassed about telling anybody about what was going on because I didn't want people to know and I didn't want people to judge me. And and I just thought I felt a bit embarrassed about having to go down this process because I hadn't found someone. I think it takes a while, as it did for me as well, to make peace with the fact that this is actually and it's a really empowering thing that you're doing. It's not because you haven't found someone. It's that you are taking your future into your own hands and hopefully they might turn up later when everything works out. But to change your mindset from being, because it was almost like I'm a failure because I couldn't meet someone to have a baby with. And then to go, actually, no, I'm not sitting around waiting. I'm amazing. Yeah. Yep. And I think once I got past that, so once, you know, the whole relationship thing had ended and everything else, I think that was kind of my turning point of like, no way, I'm going to get this because this is what I want and stuff anyone else who, and so from then on, like, people would be like, are you going on any dates? I'm like, no, nah, I don't have time for that shit. I am I am having a baby and that is all I'm doing and I don't care about anyone else. And so it was a real, it was just a bit of a different, I think there's a lot to be said about your mindset and and I think, you know, for for whatever reason, all of those transfers never worked and, it was probably just because I wasn't ready. That's that's how I choose to frame it in my own head. Um, but it certainly now has got a lot easier, um, certainly telling people. And, you know, I'm like one of the girls at daycare the other day, one of the older ladies, she was like, gosh, dad must be tall. Look how tall he is. And, I was, and one of the other ladies who I'd already told, she was kind of like, she's mortified <laughs> and she's like oh no 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 like we'll talk about that later and I was like no 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 it's okay <laughs> so yeah well, actually the donor was blah but, yeah. yeah look I, I that's kind of how I used to dealt with it so far oh uh, yeah well actually the donor was about my height <laughs> um but yeah look it, it is what it is so and a lot of people are more curious than anything so a lot of people are like oh so how did you pick the donor and like you know he's beautiful so how did you pick and what pictures obviously just all from me (laughs) yeah yeah exactly I mean if you see the donor baby photos he looks dead spit is he yeah uh, absolutely um absolutely but it's funny because a lot of my friends have been like oh no he's totally you like you know your eyes and your you know, he raises his eyebrow at us like you do. So, you know, he's, yeah. And, look, I've got such a good network of family and friends and they've been amazing and he has a great little network around him. So I don't regret it for a single minute that, of what I've done. Now it's just do I want to do it again? Yeah. So I guess looking back through your very long and amazing journey, is there anything you wish you'd done differently or would do differently if you went back again? Look, every now and then I try not to do the whole what ifs, but 
look, every now and then I just wish, I kind of wish I had have not probably gone to the Gold Coast um, and I had a stayed local, I probably would have saved myself a lot of money. Um, but at the end of the day, I guess all of it is I would never have known I had endometriosis if it hadn't have been for that second opinion. Um, you know, I think, again, everything happens for a reason. I just, I wish that I probably had a, yeah, I, look, I wish I had a probably got my shit together a bit sooner <laughs> so that I was a bit younger. But, look, it is what it is and he's here and it's great and now I just need to work out if I'm going to have two. Anyone else who was on the fence about doing this, what would your advice to them be? Oh, you've you've absolutely got to do it. If you if if that is if you have grown up thinking that you were going to have children and that that was something you you know if you met somebody and that was a deal or no deal, um, then why not? Because you know you can absolutely do it. Look, I sometimes still question whether I have got the patience for being a single mum um there I'm not going to lie and you would know um you get to the end of the day and you just sometimes want to drop on the couch and totally just do nothing and die <laughs> but it is honestly when you when you wake up and they look at you and you know they're smiling back at you and they you know give you a big sloppy kiss and stroke your hair and stuff it's totally worth it so thank you so much. What an amazing journey you've been on. I mean, so many rounds of IVF and retrievals, but you've got your beautiful Jack and who knows, hopefully a sibling if you decide you want to go through through that again. So thank yeah. you so much for sharing your story. I know it will make a world of difference to a lot of people, especially the fact that you had to go through endometriosis and the, the lower AMH, how many rounds you had to go through. But there is hope at the end of that and you have your beautiful little boy. Absolutely. You just need to keep on trying. I'm Alicia, and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes, and leave a like, a review, or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.